Cat and Cloud podcast is sponsored by Steeped Coffee. Steeped Coffee is a new brewing method that combines specialty craft coffee into a single serving bag. You don't need a machine. You don't have to make a mess no matter where you are. All you have to do is add hot water. Each steep pack is individually sealed in nitrogen flush, so it stays fresh, and it's got this special immersion filter. And the filter is ultrasonic sealed, which means it's sealed together with no glue, no staples, so there's no weird stuff floating around in your coffee. Steeped is a benefit B Corp. They ethically source all their coffee. Their packaging is fully compostable, and they believe that business should be done without compromise. You can get your hands on Steeped Coffee at steepedcoffee.com. That's S-T-E-E-P-E-D coffee.com. Asking your local retail stores to start carrying Steeped or having your favorite roaster reach out and get in touch. If you happen to be in Santa Cruz, come on by any of the Cat and Cloud locations. We have it there for you. Basically, they're just doing their best to change the coffee industry and make your life more convenient with their pre-portioned, pre-ground innovation. So tell all your friends. They all go on the internet, but Chrome is the shit. And you can get all the cool little plugins from Chrome. This is the the podcast about the internet browsers. This is where... Cat and Cloud Crew reviews internet browsers. Mm-hmm. Well, the Fox wow. looks the coolest. Let's be real, but I don't. I just picked the one that I'd seen before. You know, I'm all about the Pokemon ball. Is that what it is? <laughs> I love Pokeballs too. I haven't had uh, I haven't you... had raw fish in a long time. I feel like that would be really nice. Mm. Are you avoiding it, or is it just happening because you don't can't go to restaurants? I'm not avoiding it. I just haven't been able to go. I don't know. Sushi to go doesn't really sound that appealing to me, honestly. Like part Respect. of the magic of eating sushi is is being there, at least for me. And I don't want to get sushi and eat it in the parking lot or take it back home. I'll just wait down to wait. Yeah, yeah it won't be the same. Fresh take the fish, long, you know? take the long view, and see what's up. Let's get into this love mail. There's some pretty cool love mail. Love mail. Love mail. Number one. Yeah. Number one. Do you reorder these every week so that someone gets to be number one every week? Sick. Um. Yeah. You you Everyone do this one, Carol, because I'm bad one. at pronouncing. I'm going to butcher this last name. Oh, my God. Really? Yeah. Okay. Hi. All right. This is my friend, Allie Rice. I don't actually know for sure. Um. I don't know if I've met you, Allie, but you're in Capitola, California. So you're close by. I've probably seen your face. Just wanted to say how helpful, friendly, and amazing the Cat and Cloud team is. Thank you. you go, it's so Allie. true. The Cat and Cloud team is like, I don't understand. They just, we just, we just blow my mind all the time. Mind blown. I was going to say Rice or Reese. I can never decide. This one's easy. Taylor West from Eugene Origin. Origin? Uh-oh. He's from Origin. She's from Origin. They're from Origin. I, that, wow. I don't even know. It'd be easy. I thought it'd be easy. I fucked it up. Oregon. Eugene, <laughs> Oregon. Hey, all Thanks for keeping it positive and real during this tough time. I'm a cafe manager who, along with my whole crew, is stuck at home. That sucks. Missing my coffee family and our customers. Can totally relate. I know we're in this together, and I appreciate all you guys do to support and encourage others in the service industry. Keep on crushing. Thank you, Tay-Tay. Get props from Tay. Keep on crushing. Mm-hmm. You like that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that was a Carol, I don't know what to do with number three. Hey, Paul Lynn. Dude, I mean, hello from the inside. And then you're going to have to like uh, watch his video because. Should we just put a link to this video yeah, that he sent yeah, in I'll just in link the it. description? Yeah. Looks like he's having a rough time in, uh, it's in a Dell parody. Yeah, it's going to be a sick Yeah, Adele he's parody. like, 
Hello from the inside. Wow, was yeah. that Adele on our microphone just then? Wow. Yeah, I know. Um, that was like a half drunk Carol. Somebody's get, you're you're half drunk at ten forty five in no, the morning. No, I'm not. That's what I'm I said, <laughs> dude. It's a little much. I think I'm just really tired. I think you're half yeah. drunk. Claim it. Okay. I'm I'm love. Uh, I actually responded to Paul Conte 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 whatever you want to say. I responded to him literally because uh, he ordered coffee. So you all should respond to him. Um, I I wrote on his invoice. So y'all, somebody's gonna have to take this one. Oh, he asked, okay, "What's the weirdest it. drink order you have gotten on bar?" <laughs> Damn it, Chris. What's no? You can take it. I was just phrasing the question. I'm just kidding. No, no, I actually don't want this one. I want you to take it. You've taken. You've done way more weird drinks than I have. I don't even know. I mean, here's the thing. All drinks are just espresso and milk. There's not really room for it to get that fucking weird. What Um, about the short and nasty one? Oh, pull it short and nasty, dude. That was that was pretty dope. That's not even weird. That was just gangster as fuck. Okay, you got to do it. So, Nolan, who owns Proud Mary, um. Way back in the day, this was like 2007, 2008, when I was working at Ritual, he came to the States. It was him and Ben from Five Senses, and they were like partaking in the Ritual experience like every every day for a few days straight. And I didn't really know him that well at the time, but they were just like really exciting characters, especially Nolan. If you know him, he's got a lot of energy. He makes you want to get up and just like yell and scream and do do things. So it's so cool to be around someone like that. And the day that they were leaving, this is when Ristretto Espresso, like short poles were like really, really happening. The day they were leaving, they came in to get coffee for the last time. And I remember they dropped me off a mix like burned mixed cd that i still have there was just some some hip-hop stuff and he's just like he's like here man this is for you you know you know make it happen i was like dope dude what do you guys need he's like oh man i need espresso before we leave pull it short and nasty and he was just so fucking hyped and i was like dude i'll pull you the fucking nastiest espresso you've ever had in your life and i did i pulled it short and nasty it was fucking tight that's what he That's wanted. So you gave That's it. what he wanted, dude. Got to give the people when what they want. When did he stop it? What's that? Oh, when dude. When did he stop it? So this was probably a 20 gram. It's probably a 20 gram dose. But we had like really aggressive restrictors on the on the FB70. So the shots weren't really dropping to like between 8 and 10 seconds. It was a real slow drop. And gram wise, Jesus Christ, this thing was probably like... <laughs> um not too much more than 20 grams out at like 23 seconds um it's a completely different look and feel and like grind setting from what we do now and the roasts were a lot different too so it's it's definitely not something you know some would argue that it was never good i like that shit but it's not like you can take just any coffee and do that with it it's like engineered to do that so little background Mm. cool it makes them short and nasty so other people liked it short and nasty, like nasty, short and nasty yeah. back then or no? Oh, a lot of people so liked it short so and nasty. So that kind of like, okay, sick. <laughs> yeah. Dude. Yeah, espresso has um... been like evolving a lot. We can get into that after the last um, uh, love mail if you want to do that. All right, cool. Um, I think, yeah, I'll do this one. Um, so this is Carrie or Kari Devine. Wow. Or Divine. Um or divine Bieljak? <laughs> I don't know. Sorry, Bellajak. I'm not sure. But from Venice, California. What's up? She says, "Shouts out to No Kid Hungry. 
Learn more at nokidhungry.com, or sorry, not .com, nokidhungry.org. And I'll put that in the show notes. Um, Yeah, super dope. If you can help out, that is dope because, you know, them kids not in school, not getting lunch at school, might not be getting lunch at home. So that's pretty dope if if you feel that resonates with you. Um, Cool. Do you want to talk about some short and nasty? I mean, I'm down. Or maybe not short and nasty, but more like evolution. Yeah, I'm 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 down to get into it. It'll be like a little bit more of a, a coffee a coffee focused thing. Um, if everyone's sure. down to walk, a little history lesson. Let's it go, would be people. Fun. It would be fun to walk through what young but Chris observed. Well, yeah, to, you know, <laughs> and totally. I mean, this experience definitely isn't unique to me. Anybody who was around at the time has experienced some of this. So, uh, but yeah, I love it. So basically, when I got into coffee. We'll we'll use some timestamps for example. So the first coffee job I had was around uh, 2001 ish, um, and the third wave coffee scene wasn't really like blowing up. There were some people trying to dive into to specialty, and this was in a small town before before Starbucks was really there. It's like like right before, or right during like the latte explosion. So you had. Um, you had coffee companies like Starbucks and Pete's that were around making big milky drinks. Like people are starting to be more familiar with lattes. And then the, on the barista side of things, there was like this evolution from hot Brown water, which is like, you know, you put coffee in a portafilter, throw it in there, hit brew and basically diarrhea comes out and you (laughs) let it run for however long you want to let it run for. And I think everybody who's been to a, subpar coffee shop has seen something like that where you're just looking at this stuff and it just doesn't look sexual it's it's not in there you know there's nothing Wait, smooth sensual about or it. sexual sexual no, sensual Both. oh wow okay i mean i think espresso i think espresso is super sexy and that was like okay. one of the things that drew me towards like um coffee i mean i always drink coffee but something that drew me towards espresso was like i think it's so fucking good looking like when you watching espresso being brewed there's something mesmerizing about it and i think it's super tight so it's a little cool. sexual um there's a, there's a moment <laughs> you know what i'm saying oh yeah it's slightly arousing there's a moment yeah i mean it gets me okay, excited okay. i yeah. mean you can get some okay. asmr from it okay it's just how it goes. it's like i <laughs> I mean, oh I don't God. want to do anything <laughs> to I the coffee, but it's like it's there's levels to stuff, and it's, it's at like, a high Ooh. level. Okay. Um, high vibe. And then the so one of the first pioneers of this newer wave of brewing espresso was David Schomer, and David Schomer owns Espresso Vivace in Seattle, and he is the guy who credit is credited with and basically single-handedly brought latte art to the united states like he is the father of milk texturing and pouring milk patterns in the u.s like point blank period um and his his cafes became like really really well known for their latte art but also the style of espresso that they poured and that style was like super super ristretto and ristretto just means restricted um so you're talking like really really short shots and the transition from like the old watery diarrhea to this like really compact flavor was just kind of built around some of the things that we all know now but just um, working on different levels 
So if you've ever done a shot that's broken into multiple pieces, like the first part of the extraction is the heaviest. It's got the most viscous mouthfeel. Um, it's really, really weighty. And if you're talking in terms of raw, quote unquote, flavor, it's just the most intense. Um, and I think part of the like the advancement or the the charge of this espresso ristretto style was for a couple things. It was like one, it was just the antithesis, like the complete opposite of everything else that was going on. It's like people who don't give a shit about quality are just like putting stuff in there and letting it run forever. We're going to do the opposite and we're going to capture uh, quote unquote maximum flavor, which means we're going to use a lot of coffee. We're going to extract a little bit out of it because we only want the sweetest stuff. And that's just how it's going to be. Um, so the style that a lot of the third third wave, new up and coming third wave people like at the time, you know, you have, I think, Intelligentsia was founded in 99, Stumptown somewhere in like 2000, 2001, or maybe I got them backwards. But those people started to emulate that style of espresso. And it just became the new normal or the like the gold standard for like the third wave coffee shops for this like moment in time. Um, mm -hmm. Feel free to jump in anywhere here, JR too. I know I'm talking a lot. You just got the history going real nice, dude. Just keep it going. People okay, really like cool. it. Love it. So when I, when I started working at ritual, you know, I transitioned out of the, my small town, hometown coffee zone into like, I'm going to make this into my career, move to San Francisco and, you know, figure out how to make this work it was 2006. And that was kind of like the, the, the going style. Like people were like copying, pasting Vivace style for a while. Um, and then through those years, like it, it slowly started to evolve. And there's a couple key points that are, that are happening here. So even, until only several years ago, a lot of the traditional old school Italian espressos and even more modern espressos like David Schomer was using at Espresso Vivace in Seattle had a Robusta component to it. So here's another reason why we need to do, you know, that um, species variety whole whole thing podcast. But mm -hmm. most people know there's two like widely grown uh, commercially grown species of coffee. You've got Arabica and Robusta. Arabica is generally considered the higher quality, more fragile plant. It's easier to kill, but when you get it right, it, it's sweeter and more nuanced. And Robusta is a much hardier plant, um, which easier to grow, but the, the reward in the in the taste taste bucket is not as awesome. But people really love the Robusta and the espresso. Because what Robusta did have was it had a shit ton of body, super viscous, like give it that like coating mouthfeel. So the the extractions were really, really pretty and like felt really good when you drank them. And then also it kind of had some of those quintessential like flavor characteristics of espresso at that time, which were like a lot of heavier notes. You know, you've got things like tobacco and and cinnamon or, or cedar and and these kinds of things so not to mention 75 percent more caffeine than our arabica brother <laughs> yeah a lot more caffeine really? so you could get fucking jacked on espresso back in the day and if you've ever <laughs> like 
cold. I did not know that. That's crazy. Oh yeah, it's it's fully off the Richter. Like, <clears throat> if you've ever pulled like straight robusta, which I got to do at um, one of the old barista jams that Barefoot hosted back in the day. Um, so one of the one of the the second coffee shop I ever worked for, we were a, a Taylor Made Farms account. Taylor Made's up in Sebastopol, and they used to have an espresso called Organic Panic that was like. 50 or 75 I, don't, I can't remember how much but a huge robusta component and i remember like bringing that into the shop that i worked at shout out to rob and we dialing that in i would just be fucking turned out and this was like when i was younger nothing got me fucked up i could drink like unlimited amounts of coffee it didn't even matter but this shit just got me fully blasted and then i had some like full 100 percent robusta espresso eaten suno brought it and he's all be careful it's like rocket fuel and you don't want to pull that long like if you over extract that is just full-blown disgusting so by pulling it really really short you're kind of capturing all that like weighty stuff and leaving everything else behind um so when uh the aforementioned story happened like around the time like nolan came in and the several years after that is when you see like a big split in in camps and people started pursuing like different kinds of espresso uh, single origin espresso started to become like a little bit more common and that's it's actually interesting to think about jared because it's something that we were kind of on the the front edge of is when we first started competing in barista competitions i remember I always used single origin coffees and that was not the norm at the time. Most people came with blends. So you had intelligentsia was by far and away um, in the mid to late two thousands. They were like the, like 2007, eight, nine, they were like the dominant force in competitions and they all use some sort of blend later shifted to single origins. But um, in that era, it was like a lot of blends. And even before that, and I showing... have a question about that really yeah. quick. Go so ahead. with with the blends, like was it because it's easier to achieve like the ideal taste of that time, or was it simply because that was like the preferred like w- were you getting a much different like tasting experience between like a blend or a single origin? Cause cause we have like, you know, kind of single origin esque truth blends that we do. So like was it the was it like a changing of like preference of like tasting experience or was it that it was harder to achieve that like ideal kind of taste with a single origin Does that's that a make great sense? that's a great question and both of those things are true so the okay. espresso preference at the time was definitely more towards something that was overall um balanced and again, we were coming out of this area where most espresso is bad. And like to get to this base level, what a lot of people, without really claiming it, but looking back on it, what a lot of people were doing were they were making espresso that was unoffensive. Like this tastes good. I like this. It wasn't necessarily the most exciting espresso. Um, so there's definitely a taste built on that. But then in the competition format the score sheets tended to reward things at the time that were more balanced and less exciting and then Mm -hmm. as far as the experience it was interesting because a lot of people would at the time argue they're like oh single origin coffees are 
harder to dial in. And I actually disagree. I think they're super easy to dial in because there's you have ultimate consistency. But it's tricky if you're trying to make something that's not roasted to be brewed as espresso, as espresso, like you got solubility issues. It's yeah. The the like the the path that you might go on might not be the same as if you have like a blend like old school black cat, which is just like chocolate and caramel. Well, yeah, and at the time the skill level and the the ability to dial in a coffee to make it taste good wasn't we weren't even close to where we are now. We didn't have scales, we didn't have like a lot of benchmark indicators. So people, unless they were willing to spend a lot of time in understanding how to make a coffee taste good by feel and look for the most part, it it was harder to understand how to balance out a coffee like a single origin for a lot of people where it is a lot easier to make a single or, or to like to pull a single origin coffee to its optimization versus a blend. But at the time, like you said, Chris, people were really putting blends together with this intent behind them. Like, okay, I'm going to pick this coffee for body and this coffee for fruit and this coffee for chocolate and this coffee for tobacco. And that's what I'm going to pull. I'm going to pull it like I always pulled it. And I'm kind of fitting everything into this is how I pull my coffee versus utilizing all the tools we have now. Yeah. You guys didn't have scales. We didn't use scales. We didn't use anything. You weren't even allowed to use timers. Yeah, you weren't even allowed to use them. It's like, especially in the competition format, it's like, I remember the first time people started bringing timers, it was like, what is this fucking dork doing? Like, (laughs) so there was, it it was kind of cool because I actually had a sneaky timer at one time. So I had Tony Serrano, who is one of the guys who helped bring me into this like deeper into this world of coffee um he also officiated our wedding and all this stuff but he got me uh for a present one time this uh doll probably like i don't know a foot tall of biggie um (laughs) and then another one later of flavor flav and i put i started putting these dolls on my espresso machine during my competition times this is like 2005 2006 2007 i would just have them there (laughs) And the reason I had the dolls there was because I was, I was nervous and I was like, what is going to make me feel like I'm in my own zone? And I'd be like, oh, if I look up and see Biggie, I'm just going to feel mad chill. It's not even going to be a big deal. So Aww. when I got the Flavor Flav one, everybody knows Flavor Flav wears a big clock um, on a chain around his neck. So I basically modified a pocket watch to be on his chain. So I had a running uh, timer the whole time. So I just look up when I start my shots and be like, boom, put them in the second hands on the six. Okay. I know I got to 12 before 30 seconds is up. So I can kind of like have a little bit more accuracy there. Yeah. And without Dude, that is so fucking cool. <laughs> like That is so crazy. It's I... like cute. And like, it's just like, you like made yourself like a little doll friend, but also it was like, I don't know. I'm just freaking out right now. That story is amazing. freaking out. I'll put picture. I'll send you pictures, and maybe we can put them somewhere. I don't. I don't know, like where we could link to them. But it's kind of cool. I got some pictures oh, of the man. setup with Biggie on it, and only one person ended up calling me out on the flavor <laughs> flavor thing. <laughs> They're like, "Dude, I see what you're doing. Nice shot timer." And I was like, "Oh yeah, you got me. Shit, whatever." Um, but so yeah, we didn't have a, a ton of tools, and then just to dive in even further, I remember 2006 was the first USBC I ever went to, and uh, a lot of people there were running Stumptown and Hairbender Stumptown's flagship espresso. 
And at the time, you didn't know what was in Hairbender. And that was almost like a source of pride for the company. It's like nobody knows what's in Hairbender except for Dwayne, who was the, the founder. It was that much of a secret. So you're working as a barista without all these tools, and you don't exactly know what's in your espresso. Um, so there were a lot of a lot of like layers of things to kind of sift through during that era. Dude, what- can we fucking do that? <laughs> can we please have like one like one oh man, just like a mystery bl- mystery blend or something? So it's like a fun game. Like you don't even know what you're gonna get. The well- priest doesn't even know, but it's gonna be dope. I mean, I here's why I loved being part of that era because without all of the and I, I think tools like timers, scales, all those things, they're like absolutely great additions. But when you don't have them, you're forced to really pay attention to every single thing. And you really are forced to be in tune with like everything that's going on with your espresso, like these little intricacies of visually what's happening while it's extracting and how those are represented later in the flavor. And you have no other tool, but your palate to like what you see and what you taste is helping you dial that thing in. And we just tasted a lot of coffee because there were no other indicators aside from visual and taste. Yeah. It's really rewarding Um, to do that too. It feels really good. And it's it's cool too, like when you can carry those things with you. For example, in the modern world, you have scales um, and you have timers. But what a scale and a timer can't tell you necessarily right away is like, do you have a channel or not? Do I have an even distribution of coffee? And if you know like what those things look like and what those things taste like, I mean, you can put twenty in, thirty five out all day at the right time frame that you want and have it taste like shit. It's totally possible. <laughs> because mm-hmm. there's more going on than ins and outs. Um, and you don't need to work in the absence of those things to figure it out, but it really helped like build um, build the bridge between those two worlds, at least for me as, as a barista. So, Not to get off topic too much, but could you ever see implementing that into like education for retail? Um, like- I think it has value. I don't want to speak to what we'll do as a company, but I think right. that like that process, the and it was something that I did in my previous um, roles as a trainer is we'd have certain days and certain lessons where we just put coffee in the thing. Nobody knows what it is and take away everything and be like, make it taste good. And I think there's such a huge place for that. I, I think it's it's also super rewarding for the person doing it. It's like a real tactile experience. Um, it it kind of bridges. You're, you're kind of more of an artist at that point than someone who's simply plugging in formulas and, and making numbers. It's like explore, exploring. It brings you closer to the coffee. So yeah. I love it. Yeah, it's it sounds fun. I mean, it's huge. You're you're literally forced to the present moment, to embodiment, to like everything you're using your taste your smell your sight your feeling and and if you're wanting to be really good at it at making coffee in the context of this that's what you have to do and you have to repeat it and you have to it it gets really fun i mean we got to the point where chris and i could by feeling dose coffee to 0.1 grams accuracy and people would trip out pete licata what used to come to verve when we were practicing for competitions and he'd watch and and we'd be like, oh, man, that's awful by one tenth because we'd have scales at this time. And he'd be like, really? Let's see. 
and we put it on and we'd we'd be all right like nine out of ten times and he thought that was really impressive and that's something that comes out of being really present and knowing what you're doing and your movements i mean it is rewarding and then you kind of you build a little bit of self-confidence in in everything that you do around obviously in this context coffee it's really cool to see people progress like that and feel really good about what they're doing they know beyond what anybody else is saying what's happening and it's you truly know something it's cool confidence baby just one more question um chris when you were doing like those kinds of like formal trainings i guess like Mm -hmm. was there like a group of people that were like trying to like you would you would have like a grinder with a certain like kind of coffee that no one knows what it is right like how many people would be playing with it to try to figure out how to make it taste good just one uh sometimes a small group sometimes an individual depending on what was going on cool sorry i'm just thinking it just sounds really fun I no, try that. it's super fun. I mean, it's it's fun to do, even if there's no goal. You know, if you've got access to an espresso machine and you're like, I just want to play with this, it's it's super fun. You know, because you put something in, you look at it, you you're like, your senses are alive, and then you taste it, and based on what you know, you make an adjustment and you go from there. And it's like, it's it'd be really fun to do it with a. I would want to do it with like a partner, and just like have someone to like bounce ideas off of, and like I don't know. I, that's just fun yeah you can't you can't lose either way you know um, anyways where were you in your story well it's coming out of this uh split where we have diarrhea water mm-hmm. super ristretto partially robusta inspired by Schomer and vivace and then that transitioning slowly into um what we would know now as like the the modern specialty movement so when David Schomer was doing all his things, he also made these really, they're fucking awesome instructional videos, some on latte art and some on espresso preparation. And his methods like became sort of the gold standard. Like you do these steps to get certain espresso. Um, And for a while, his coffee was kind of revered as the gold standard too. But then slowly but surely you see people, peeling away and experimenting and exploring more of what modern specialty coffee had to offer. And this is where I'll make a big distinction between somebody like David Schomer and Espresso Vivace versus some of the other companies that we kind of look up to now in that people talk about third wave as being like letting the coffee speak for itself and being really coffee centric. And in that way Schomer and Vivace were not third wave they were very espresso centric but they were not really doing it it really wasn't so much about the coffees behind the espresso for them and you um start to transition into companies that are like like how Stumptown was back in the day where they were incredibly farmer and coffee focused and then you can start to see that come alive in their espresso profiles and it like hairbender was one of the first espressos that I remember tasting that had a really uh, like a really strong citrus component to it without it being sour or weird. You know, you could still pull it tight and it was still had body to it, but it it had a it was like a little bit more lively and that's because you're they're kind of breaking away from that like you need to have robusta in your blend, you need to have this malabar and we can go and explore, you know, really interesting really interesting coffees put them in espresso and and 
and make them and really celebrate the coffee. And that's where like a huge shift came. And that in my mind is the beginning of the style where we're at now is where over those like past 10 years or so, people have been pulling for the most part, coffee's like a little bit longer. Like the shots have way more volume in them. Um, they're they're more open and, and less compressed um, because when you have really, really amazing coffees and you roast them well to where you can pull all these nuance out of there, you don't necessarily want them to be as compressed or you could if that's a stylistic choice but you might be missing out on some of the things that they like have to offer so Mm -hmm. the shift in my mind isn't necessarily towards an espresso style that's better it's just a shift in being able to explore flavor a little bit more openly Hmm. yeah we went through a big shift in america where we went from diarrhea water which was the closest thing we understood from italian espresso (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> to like real short and then we started working our way back out but when we started verve we were doing really really short coffee too it was like extremely long extraction times with extremely short volumes and also a lot of coffee in the portafilter and that was like ridiculously extreme in and of itself uh and i don't know if there's a way if there's a place to go before we hit that level i mean you guys were doing it a little different at, at ritual as well chris right well i think so the time, you know, I came to work at Verve at like 2009 right. and the previous three years I'd been at Ritual. And when I, when I started at Ritual, so when I started at Ritual, Ritual was a Stumptown account. They did not roast coffee out of the gate. So we pulled Hairbender for a long time, like a good six months to a year, um, and then transitioned into roasting our coffee. And then when I left Ritual, Ritual was going through a wave of kind of transitioning into those larger volume shots, tweaking the roasting for espresso and pursuing something more, more wide open. And over at Verve, it was kind of the opposite, but, and this, I I will like say this, not because the coffee, like the espresso that we were making at Verve tasted good, but I, or it was, you know, it's like a pleasant, enjoyable experience. But the, I think the reason that that super compressed style ended up working well is because they just the coffees just weren't that good. Oh, <laughs> you have yeah. like, you have a lot of different coffees in the blend. None of them are amazing. So the way to make that palatable is you squish it down. You pull it really tight. You, you know, you roast it in a way to where you probably, because of the really long extraction time, you're balancing out some of that like front end, like intensity and you get like a kind of grapey, sweet, chocolatey shot of espresso. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I still remember the accidental launching of that blend because we were going through all the different coffees, trying to figure it out. And one night. I think Sean, we were literally, we'd have these jars of coffee and we would just pull different portions out, right? And we'd kind of weigh them and then we'd be like, okay, this one's, this is 33% this and 42% that and 12 and seven and whatever. We had like our ratios that Ryan had set up that worked for his blends. And, and that night it was in the evening and Sean put something in there and went to pull it. And it was just the grind setting was all wrong and it just started dripping. And I remember Ryan was like, well, just let it run. And it finally hit 42 seconds. He stopped. Sean stopped it. He's like, oh, that's just going way too long. 
and then he drank it and his eyes got all big because it was such a unique thing by the way it was like 25 grams of coffee in the portafilter so it's like unridiculously like that's <laughs> so much coffee 25 grams of coffee in like 18 grams of coffee in the in the cup and 42 ish seconds long and you're right like it was just a bunch of these flavors just compacted into like a sip so much concentration and it ended up it did taste good at the time and i don't think you're going to easily replicate something <laughs> well maybe you will but it was more palatable than you might imagine when you hear those numbers yeah i think you're hitting the nail on the head when you you say like you're not going to replicate it in that let's take our coffee for example you would not be able to take the answer do that to it and have anything that tastes like anywhere close to palatable no. palatable like one you got to be in a little different frame of, of mind because the the era and the taste of that era are certainly a factor and two it's i mean the roasts are completely different like the components are completely different it's a completely different style that's being chased and like i think that's something that people ignore too is like the like the roasts impact on how you're going to pull that espresso it's not like a one and done it's not like this spec works for everything it's what you've done with that coffee in the drum greatly affects its solubility and how it's gonna come out the other side but mm -hmm. that i have a yeah have a go. Quick question yeah. so so when you're saying um like pulling it tight and like like compressing kind of like the flavors like, but you said pulling it long also. Can you kind of break that down a little bit? So is it like a super tight grind size, but pulling it kind of long or like? Yeah, great, great question. So um, with what Jared described with having shit fuck tons of coffee in the portafilter, like 24, 25 grams is insane. Um, having it pull really slowly so that the shot volume, it, you know, it's like dripping, dripping, dripping. And the overall volume is really small. And then when I say like the balance from pulling it long, I'm referring to the time frame. Um, right. So like the shots are taking 42, 43 seconds right. to happen. So even though you've got a teeny tiny shot, you've right. got a lot of time where coffee and water are mixing together, which I think is what keeps it from being just a tangy hot mess that okay. there's a little bit more dwell time. So even though it's nowhere near over extracted, you, you, you get some aspects of that to balance it out to where it's not just like an attack. Right. And that would only work with like a tight grain size because it would, would go through quickly. If it was right. Not. You heard of my yeah. band, Tangy Hot Mess? Tangy Hot Tangy Mess. Tangy Hot Mess. Hot, than diarrhea water. hot mess and diarrhea water at the show all day. So uh, when you say diarrhea water, was that like... Um, like that wasn't replicating what was happening in Italy. That was like people trying to and not knowing what the fuck they were doing. Like what, what was that? Yeah, that's, that's my impression. So the first time I ever experienced Italian espresso was either 2007 or 2008. So I don't know what was going on before then. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. And my, my experience there was, that the coffee was a, like a different style than what we had. Again, it was like hev heavy Robusta. And what I witnessed was people not really paying like a ton of care into their preparation. But even so, like all of the shots were like pretty decent. Mm -hmm. And by pretty decent means like they were 
uh, a manageable volume. And as they were extracting, they didn't look like just a baby barfing everywhere. Um, <laughs> you know, they had like even the, they were like viscous enough. Yeah. Even the shops like so I saw a bunch of different things, but something that seemed like common at the time was, you know, people were filling up the grinder, click, click, two clicks uh, on like a, you know, a clicky grinder a soft like really weird tamp not a lot of or no redistribution putting it in and then getting something that was like all right this is okay like i don't know how it's okay but it's okay um and whatever the gap was between like you know the people that invented espresso and the u.s trying to make their interpretation of espresso there was just something missing like at my first job we had a manual machine like we manually like dosed we tamped we put it in we turned the machine on and stopped the pump like all by ourselves and the training was just kind of like yeah you put it in and then stuff would come out and the owner's like that looks pretty good (laughs) like (laughs) like what that look was was different every time like sometimes it was full-blown laser beams um and what we what we were instructed to do was we weren't allowed as baristas to adjust the grind um, because that was seen huh. as like too advanced. So, and that was true for a lot of shops. So on any given day, there's all kinds of crazy shit going on, depending on like what's going on in the atmosphere, how old the coffee is, what's going on with the roast. Cause I'm sure the roasts weren't dial in. So some days you would have like things that look pretty good. Some days you'd have full blown laser beam, like Niagara falls. So, right. So it was that, like viewed as quality control, but it like wasn't. It wasn't. And it would <laughs> lead to people doing weird shit. Like for me, I'm like, I don't know why, but I'm like the ones that pull slower and look more controlled feel like they're right to me. So when I have those days where I, you can't adjust the grind and it's laser beams, I'm just going to default to putting more coffee in the portafilter, even though I'm supposed right. to do two clicks, I'm going to put like two and a half because that's going to slow the whole thing down and like that's just intuition we know it's more complicated than that but it's like a good first step um (laughs) yeah dude when my that's like 2001 yeah that's about i mean when my dad had his shop and that was about 2001 when i got trained we did and you didn't know it was in the coffee for one but we got trained by delanos and he had a lever machine so to be like slightly ahead of that curve, it felt like we got to do the, you know, couple of clicks, but it was all based on what the coffee looked like. So we would, we would pull down the lever and we'd count to six and then we let the lever up and then count to six again. And we had to, we had to basically set up the coffee so that it didn't come out before that six second as we released the the lever. And then after that, it was just like, let it go. So we did have a little bit of quality, but that, that to me is like the beginning of that evolution from what we knew of Italian style to next level, which was just that small amount of understanding. And you're right. Like we weren't supposed to necessarily do anything else except for count essentially to 12. And then the coffee's quote unquote, as good as it gets. <laughs> yeah. And, wait, and wait, here's I a, know your dad had a shop. Sorry. Yeah. Oh no, you're good. Yeah. yeah. My dad had a, a little specialty food shop. Um, and it was called pasta and spice and everything nice from like uh, i don't know everything 2000 nice. to 2004 or something like that and uh Aww. but yeah my he was trying to do espresso because he my dad loves coffee mm, i didn't know this that makes sense totally and then your roots roots for for even a little more cultural perspective and this has probably changed over time but when i went to Milan, I went for the host show, which is this huge, every other year, big espresso machine show. 
and I went with Eileen, who owns Ritual, and we got hired by this dude, Gary, who runs this place, Espresso, or ran it, Espresso Warehouse UK, to... Shout out Gary. Gary. Shout out to Gary. <laughs> we were going to work at the Electra booth. Uh, Electra's an equipment manufacturer, and the booths were really extravagant. The whole fucking... People spend like so much fucking money on these things. Super formal. I think I've talked about it before, but... Uh, we were just, we were baristas. We were supposed to be baristas making coffee. And we brought some of our coffee, you know, from San Francisco, stuff that we serve every day. And we're like, cool, we'll just, we'll just make it. Within 15 to 20 minutes of making our coffee and serving us, serving it to people, the owner of the company or the owner's son, I can't remember, just fucking shut us down. They were like, everybody hates your coffee. You can't make it here. Oh, shit. <laughs> And we're like, okay. And oh my God. from talking to people on that trip, like the vibe was, you guys are insane. Here's the deal. We figured this shit out years ago. Like we've been doing this for decades and whatever you're doing with the thing that we've created is just stupid. And like there was one point in time where that, what's that? It's like it's disrespectful almost or something. Yeah, it's like we created a a thing and you're fucking making some bastard interpretation of it. So much so is like we, Eileen, this was the funniest part of the trip, even though it was so painful to watch. Um, Eileen, my boss, was making coffee and the grinders have these little clicky things and then they have the built-in tamper, right? So it's like you push the tamper down and it's like right on the portafilter. We had brought our... um, regular tampers you know that we use and we were tamping coffee and the dude who actually started the company who must have been like fucking 75 or 80 at the time saw eileen tamping and lost his shit he like ran up to her and like literally grabbed her hand and oh like God. put the put the portafilter back in the grinder and was like pushing down with the tamper that was on it and that that was like the vibe of how, you know, people were really at the time protective of what they were creating. And I, I, can't, I can't imagine that it's still like that. I can imagine that there, there must be a taste for, for this more modern espresso now, but there was like a huge cultural, at least what I experienced, like a cultural opposition to a lot of the stuff that we were doing. Well, Chris, when you said you were like watching people in Italy making coffee, you said that that coffee was mostly Robusta. I mean, I I guess that so. it was like a pretty high concentration of it. And then, um, like your coffee, that like it was that typical in just like in general there or in Italy or or no? Yeah, Italian espresso traditionally has like a good portion of robusta in it. Cool. And then the coffee you guys brought from Ritual, what was that coffee? Uh, that was Arabica, and it was um, I mean, to be fair, it was like it was pretty different. It was a lot lighter in roast. Yeah. Uh, even though the extraction wasn't anywhere as large as it is now, it's like it was definitely quite a bit more volume than they were used to, and it was just a different taste. Like it's like yeah. it's high end sparkle, and and why do you think that people started getting into arabica? Like, was it like where where did that start becoming a trend? Was that here in ooh, the United States? That's a great question. I'm not sure. I would guess like, um, dude, I don't even know. That's that's bigger than me. Like if I had to point the finger at some people, I would maybe not necessarily the shift from like to Arabica from Robusta, but the people who made espresso like more in the vein of what it is now, I'm looking towards people like 
uh, Dwayne Sorensen at Stumptown, like in his mm-hmm. era, like that's yeah. that was like a huge shift. I mean, but you you've got people like Pete's and Starbucks who are for sure like bringing in Arabica, you know, okay. and like serving coffees like that. But like the difference between them at their best and someone like Stumptown when they started is like is is huge it's like a completely different vibe and that's where you have that split to where it's if you're going by the definition of specialty coffee anything that's 80 points or above you've got people like us people like intelligentsia people like blue bottle Stumptown, and also people like pete's starbucks it's all the same group um and that era of late 90s early 2000s is when you start to see that differentiation between like just specialty coffee and what people would end up calling the third wave or like high-end specialty coffee or like things that are really more coffee coffee centric um focusing on like the full like coffee all the way down the chain to the grower yeah i mean it's super interesting because like i don't know this is probably a lot more complicated than i'm gonna make it but when like coming into cat and cloud we learned about the two different types of like coffees and that was really like my first introduction it just seemed like it's so established that Arabica coffee is like generally what people will like source. And so like, I'm sure, like, I don't know what the breakdown is in like producing countries of like how much Robusta versus Arabica they do. But like, it sounds like the place where espresso originated, it was mostly Robusta. And then like, I don't know, it's just an interesting thing to see it come like it, like the espresso kind of like go to other parts of the world, but then like, you know, other places actually prefer arabica and then that like changes like the i don't know the landscape of like what's actually grown i don't know it's just an interesting thing because i don't know in the history lesson that i learned kind of from cat and cloud it was like folders was like robusta and that's shitty you know (laughs) and then eventually we started like drinking better coffee (laughs) and that's like arabica yeah and that's like the first you know, you can think about that as like the first best step towards something. But you've got like Mick Cafe serving Arabica and no one's trying to be like, oh, McDonald's is blazing a trail for coffee. It's just like overall better quality coffee. And I think from like my perspective, again, in that era, like all of this must be taken with the like the timing of everything into account is that espresso in italy at the time or even at the time of its invention didn't have anything to do with coffee they're completely separate coffee was simply like like this is just a vehicle delivery like it's a delivery system for this thing and espresso is what it is it doesn't have anything to do with origins or arabica or robusta or anything it's just like this is a this is a thing that lives and i think that was why our coffee in that moment was met with such like why are you fucking this up it's already dialed you guys are stupid do you feel like italians were using or do you know if italians were using like different coffees for bring espresso versus like did they even drink coffee like, they didn't what? drink no that's the thing yeah no they're uh, uh, i don't know now but their coffee culture is like, like all americano purely based off of espresso well the americano is like a a thing after the war when you get like tourists into Italy and they didn't want to drink espresso or like uh, war, uh, like expats don't want to drink espresso cause it's too strong. So they wanted their espresso cut with water. Hence the name yeah. Americano. Americano. Yeah. It's like not even, it's not even anything that they would drink. I mean, their menu was like 
espresso, macchiato, cappuccino, and there's rules to this shit. It's like you drink espresso in the morning. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> like, you know, you, you don't you certain things you don't drink later in the day. It doesn't make sense. It's like cappuccino after this time doesn't even fucking make sense. What are you doing? Like, um, did Italians always put milk in their espresso? Uh, great question. You're deeper than I know. Okay. <laughs> I mean, no, this is just so interesting. It's getting me to think about, like, I don't know. Italians didn't like, they're not like the fathers of like coffee. Like, they, they just like the style of coffee. Like, I don't know. I haven't, I haven't dipped too correct. far into coffee history. So it's like, I want to see, like, I want to look into, like, where did coffee drinking, like, how did it originate in all these different parts of the world? Like, how did people prepare this stuff? And like, yeah. when? I know it's so and like what kinds of coffee did they tend to use dude it's so interesting yeah it's it's so cool like it's cool that you're intrigued about this shit because I think about it all the time it's like yeah Italians definitely didn't invent coffee they're like they invented espresso other people are drinking coffee for sure and like you know different ways and so yeah where did Italians like get like coffee beans from like where did they like get interested in I don't know that like product or what you know what I'm saying like like what where did they learn that you could roast it <laughs> like who what <laughs> what culture showed them that i now, don't know now Holy you're taking shit. a journey way far back which is which is cool i just can't speak on all of it and i'm no, i'm sure. actually yeah. excited to have been in the game when i was which was i was able to because of the time frame that it was in like have hands into all these different buckets. Like I was able to visit this culture of old school espresso while it was still happening before things fully shifted to a new way of doing it. Um, Mm -hmm. Like on the forefront of the front lines during like the, the rise of the third wave in the modern specialty movement and now having a hand in it in like this, like where it is right now. And Mm -hmm. I think a lot of, I mean, you wouldn't have it, but, you know, a lot of baristas now don't have the total cultural context. And it's always something that's like really interesting for me because a shift like that is probably not going to happen again in that way where you have like, you know, this huge shift from like, we don't care about where our coffee comes from to it being like a huge part of the story. And like the intent that goes behind making coffee was changed so much in this little like 20 year window Mm -hmm. i wonder if it'll like if that sentiment will like spread into other like industries too or like not industries but other like commodities you know what i'm saying like third wave wheat (laughs) i mean like if, if people if people can figure out how to drive demand and right this is where people don't give companies like um starbucks or pete's like enough credit when you think of starbucks like they didn't they didn't invent coffee but they brought espresso culture to the u.s at scale and created a a new invention basically which was the latte um Mm -hmm. you know let's take a cappuccino make it fucking bigger put more milk in it which is something more towards like american tastes and like you know like you're in the mid 80s you're not drinking lattes like you're drinking fucking coffee and if you're like really on the cutting edge maybe you have a little espresso bar somewhere but it's like now lattes are everywhere and like that idea of you know what whoever you want to credit it with whether it's schultz or the organization of like looking at the cafe as that third place that's not home and not work but that point of connection to other people like it that's that 
more than anything, more than coffee traceability, that I think is the thing that spearheaded coffee from being seen as less of a commodity and more of like a cultural mainstay. It's something that people are willing to spend money on. So mm-hmm. by virtue of people willing to spend money on it, we're able to explore all of these like weird different things. Like we're able to explore this idea of direct trade. We're able to put money into like roast development and engage with farmers. And like mm-hmm. we can make a jump like that again. And, you know, I mean, we talked about this before to where it's like, Hey, like what, what can we do for farmers? It's like, okay, on our end, like instead of coffee costing three bucks, maybe it needs to cost five or six, then you're in like a whole different conversation, but it's like, they drove the mass market that way. And that's like huge. So maybe if someone can make like third wave wheat, you know what I'm saying? Like, (laughs) like if we can increase demand for like, I really want my bread to make me feel special. Like, and someone can take that to the economy at scale. Like we could have something like third wave wheat. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I mean, I think in this day and age, people are like craving like connection and like realness (laughs) and like and like the things around them and I don't know like if they have the financial means it's just I don't know I'm kind of like my brain is like firing in all different directions right now but I think that is something that could potentially take foot if people are just like sick of I don't know just like mass production of everything um because I feel like people are starting to get just like realizing how like impersonal and like just I don't know monotonous that is um and i don't know i think that to me that's actually like the coolest thing if coffee or like whatever can be now a vehicle for trying to bridge the gap between like wealth disparity between countries because if you know like we can charge three dollars all day for coffee but that's not going to improve the quality like for me like the fourth wave might be like you know, not only do we care where this comes from and like the story behind it, but we actually care that our lifestyle is way more cush than theirs. And we want to spread some of that like wealth um, and like actually pay them what they deserve, uh, I guess, to try to change society as opposed, you know what I mean? I, I totally hear what you're saying. And then you have, you know, you have a, then you have another marketing um maybe problem is the wrong word, but like something interesting in marketing. Challenged. <laughs> yeah. Whereas Starbucks is able to bring to mass market, this idea of the latte or the third place or caf- like coffee as an important part of people's lives. So much mm-hmm. so that people will pay a premium for it. What is, cause things are working on multiple levels, right? Like, so what is the benefit to the end user also? Like what is the motivation for other people to be like, I feel totally comfortable paying 10, 20, 50, a million dollars with this. Like, you know, um, I don't know. Anyway. Yeah. Like, well, like, it's like, you basically have to show the value in, cause I don't know. It's, it's no secret that like helping others feels good. So you just have to be able to like, basically, I don't know. It's not just, but I think the answer lies somewhere in engagement between consumer and, farmer or producer and just like being able to like connect with them in like or at least feel connected to them and like in a I don't know just be able to see that if you care about people that are like thousands and thousands of miles away like it actually is beneficial to you somehow 
Dude, I don't know. I, I dig where you're going, Carol. I, um, I, I dig it. I, yeah. so I have sad news, though, which is I have to stop this podcast right now. It's all good. That was really fun. <laughs> that was like a really <laughs> nice, refreshing. Thank you, guys, because that was refreshing in that, I don't know, it was nice to just kind of like take a break from like the current state of things and take a little trip to the past. Take a little take a nice trip. trip. Dude, uh, yeah. that was fun for me, too. Thanks for probing and i have one more one more just ending thought which i think is really cool what you said chris about like i don't know being grateful that you got to experience that like moment in time where things were the way they were and i feel like something i've noticed in my life too is just like every moment is like it's never really going to be the same especially in a place like santa cruz where it's just like you know like there's more and more people coming there's more building and like it's kind of a romantic thing to know that like if you got to go to italy like 15 years ago it's totally like no one is ever going to get to have that experience again it's just like i don't know it's pretty cool to remember that the moment that you're in now is like never it's kind of retro like in like 20 years like no one will ever be able to like feel that same feeling it's retro every second we're we're special (laughs) we're just so retro every second that yeah. moment that goes moment, retro dude moments matter they re- they really do like i i think i wrote a like a, a blog actually i know i wrote a blog on this but it's like you know life is definitely a collection of moments and sometimes people look at the bigger scope of things and like oh what are these big huge things that i got to do and it's like you know really your life is built up of day after day after day after day and being able to realize like the cool things that are going on right now and what they mean to you it's 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 pretty rad mm-hmm truth all right well cool thank you so much guys sick rip Um, have a good day have a good day yep Bye. bye bye oh man i need espresso before we leave pull it short and nasty and he was just so fucking hyped